Right, welcome back, everybody. Today I'm joined by, well, I think he's like a bit of a business powerhouse. I maybe wouldn't say that directly to him, but John Attridge. Introduced to him thanks to a, a mutual connection of ours called George McGilvery. Good afternoon, John. How are you? I'm all good. I'm always good. It's just the degrees that vary. And, it, and it's cold degrees today. I don't know how cold it is down there with you today. Yeah, it's bloody freezing. Oh, can I swear? It, it, yeah, it, yeah. It's cold. <laughs> So the 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 accent is not uh, a reference to where you live right now, is it? No, I always say to people, I'm I live for a little bit south of where you're thinking. I live in Bournemouth, but <laughs> but uh, from a, from Australia, from sunny Queensland, where it's brilliant one day and perfect the next. Yeah, it's seasonal. People ask me why am I in the UK, and it's and it's not for the weather. I'll give you the tip. <laughs> So um, you've got a book, John, called Business Blunders and Bloody Great Ideas. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I got badgered for about 20 years to write it based on my insights and, I, you know, dealings with hundreds of thousands of small business owners uh, in the 31 countries that, that we operate from. Um, and I finally got together with a guy called Steve Foster uh, from uh, One Golden Nugget, who's one of my clients. And um, I did a segment on that. And then as a follow-up, we came across this new way of writing books where I recorded it all over Zoom and got all the chapters together because it took away the heartache of sitting down, like getting locked up for a month and sitting down and writing it. Yeah, that sounds... So we're about to start publishing it. It's gone to number one in four countries, bizarrely, and we haven't even started promoting it yet. So that's about to happen. Well, congratulations. Um, I enjoyed reading it. I've said to you before, so I've got I've got some questions from it. But um, take me right back to the very start when you were you'd been left university, you'd been working in a the Coca Cola factory, and then you walked out of the Dole office into self well not self employment but commission only role. Yeah, so um, uh, I'd. Been out of university and uh, back in 1976, 77. And um, uh, in Australia, jobs were hard to get at that time. So I went to the Dole office and I spoke to this little weedy guy with glasses. And that sort of epitomises people that work for the public service, in in my opinion. The Dole office in particular, I'm sure he was anti-employment to keep his own job. So... um, I, I, I said on the board, what is there? Nothing. Okay. And I'm walking out the door and I see this sign on the thing says uh, MLC uh, commission uh, based uh, sales rep. And I take it off the board and take it back to him and say, hey, what's this? And he said, oh, that's no good. It's selling. And I said, oh, I think I can sell. What's wrong with that? He said, oh, but it's commission only. And I, and he, and I said, what's that? And he said, oh, you don't get a wage. You only get paid when you when you do something. And I said, well, do you get more money if you do more? And he went, yeah, but there's no guarantee. And I said, oh, okay, well, what else have you got? And he said, nothing. And I said, so give me the card. I want to go and talk to the guy. I started on, the, that was the Friday. I started on the Monday and uh, 13 years later, I was the national sales manager. Well, uh, but if you think about that commission only, that's how people run their own business. Bizarrely, you know, there's a lot of job sites at the moment that won't let you put a thing up saying it's commission only. You've got to put a salary. So that comes from some government uh, jobs worth that has ticked a box to protect the the person against being paid what they're worth. 
Um, And every business owner is commission only, if you think about it. You know, if you don't sell in your business, you you got no revenue and you got no revenue, you've got a hobby, you're not a business owner. So I'm guessing that you learned a lot from those 13 years that have seen you through a successful business career. It was, uh, you know, it's, it's, someone says you, you make your luck, you're fortunate, um, what have you. But the, the 13 years I had with MLC, we had some great speakers that, you know, they were a bit massive company, you know, like a multi, multi-billion turnover company. Uh, you know, there were six to 800 reps uh, out there on the road throughout Australia. So, it was, you know, it was a big organisation. They were just the sales guys. Um, you know, there was one time when I went into the office there and, and I found a guy on the sixth floor and he'd been there like eight years. And I asked him what he did and he said, oh, not a lot. And, you know, the last five years, he, he really hadn't had a job. But the company was that big. They didn't know that they were paying a guy that was doing nothing. But anyway, that's another story. Um, yeah, so um, it, it taught me sales. And we had people like Brian Tracy that came out to Australia at our convention and spoke. And I mean, I was just blown away by this guy on, on his knowledge. And even today, I don't know how old he is, if he, even if he's still alive, he must be 80 odd, yeah. but he was brilliant. And, you know, all of his sales stuff stacks up today as, if, as it did back then. So I learned my craft around sales about on selling insurance. And my dad used to say, there's nothing, uh, there's no one with more endurance than the man who sells insurance. I guess today's thing, it would be the person who sells insurance. But yeah. you get what I'm saying. Um, um, so it stood me in good stead, you know, having a sales background. And then I picked up uh, Peter Drucker and read his stuff. And, you know, he made an observation that 92% of uh, businesses are product-led by a product-led entrepreneur. 8% are led by a sales-based entrepreneur. Yet 80% of, uh, of product-led businesses fail. Only 20% of sales-led businesses fail. So if you add those two things together with a couple of other things I talk about in the book, uh, starting with the end in mind, 80-20 and uh, monetizing spare capacity, you get a better chance of not only surviving in business, but getting a proper strategy and a plan to grow, uh, scale and then exit, which I've been fortunate enough to do on a couple of occasions. Okay, so there are some real nuggets in there, and it's uh, uh, like I've really enjoyed reading it today. I finished it today. How do you split your time? So I'm going to jump around a bit and ask you some questions because I don't want to give everything away that's in the book. But how do you split your time between finding new clients and look after, looking after existing ones? Yeah, and it probably follows up with a tip that I got from a guy called Kevin Byrne. Uh, Kevin, I did the uh, Quantum Leap business shows during COVID, and we had tens of thousands on that show we did the world's first 24-hour non-stop business show that went around the world where I had 60 contacts from my black book come and do interviews and keynotes and and uh, segments we had a networking event that went on for three weeks after all online um, and one of the persons I interviewed was Kevin Byrne and you know he started checker trade here in the UK out of his backyard and sold it for 78 million quid. So I thought he's a decent enough guy to get on and have an interview. And one of the things that he jumped out for me, he said, using the 80-20 rule, John, I'm a, he said, I'm a fan of it. He said, I spend 80% of my marketing on my existing customers and only 20% on new ones. And I thought for a second, I thought, wow, that's counterintuitive. Most people would do it the other way. In fact, worse, 100% of their marketing on new customers. Yeah. Um, but when you think about it, 
you know, what's the acquisition cost of a new customer? And it's always far greater than looking after an existing one. So trying to attract a new one is a costly business. That, not to say that it, you don't need new customers. You certainly do. But focusing 80% of your marketing on your existing customer base could lead to a referral bank. It could lead to an ambassador program, which we, you know, we reward every customer for, for bringing on an, or introducing a new customer to us. Um, to grow our network organically by referral, by introducing someone on the platform that wants to uh, do business with another person that's outside, so they give us an introduction, or they want to offer their service to someone outside and bring them into the group. So, you know, we found that if we focus our marketing and our spend on the existing customers, 80-20, that serves us pretty well. So I hope that that, that sort of answers that type of question. So 80% of my time is spent on the 20% of activity that drives 80% of my revenue. Say that again, because that's a that's a, a bit of a want to get your head around. So 80% of my time is focused on the 20% of activities that get you 80% of your revenue. Yeah. So uh, majority, of your, majority of your time goes on the minority of the things that work really well that get you the biggest results. You got it. So the, yeah. you're then not spending 80% of your time on wasting time on stuff that doesn't drive the revenue into the business in some format, whether that's marketing time, sales time directly, talking yeah. to a customer, talking to your best customers more often. You know, a lot of people think, oh, they're my best customers. I, I don't need to talk to them. But, you know, I, I, you need to reverse that thinking. You need to spend 80% of, of your time talking to the 20% of customers that drive 80% of the revenue into your business. Yes, yes. And and in and, this, and if anybody wants to challenge me on that, I'm more than happy to discuss it uh, in minute detail. So, so you you've started, sold, exited a number of businesses, and your current business, what it'll be ten years since you got involved in BBX in the UK. Yeah, tenth tenth year. Uh, we're in our tenth year now, so we'll complete that at the end of June. Um, okay, and you've gone through significant growth in that time. Well, we went start up with zero. We didn't have a single customer, and we've just last week signed up our ninth ninth thousandth customer that owns a business. Congratulations! So um, that's I mean, about we, as many as we can handle um, on a regular basis. We we made the mistake once of uh, I did this massive deal. I went off on a on a bit of a tangent, and this is a blunder. I think I talk about in the book, and uh, we signed up a thousand and eighty one in one deal. And we thought we were the kings of Leon. Yeah, well uh, done. That's amazing. Oh, mate, we got applauses from the industry all over the place. But it caused us the biggest onboarding headache that we'd ever had. We drove our account manager team absolutely, you know, insane. We just couldn't handle the educational component of onboarding yeah. a new customer and making sure that they bought what we said that we're offering. They had expectations that were set that, that they knew what we could do, what we couldn't do, what we were designed to do and what we're designed completely not to do. So, you know, we've always been of the uh, ilk that you have to set expectations on on, um, on an over-performance and an over-delivery rather than, rather than over-promising and under-delivering. And, and that caused a massive headache. So there's just one blunt you know if I had my time again I would have cherry picked and brought on the top 200 
and then worked on the 80% over the next five or six months, you know, put them in a queue of some kind. Yeah. Uh, but there's an example of, of a blunder that I made by growing too quickly. And, and I don't think people understand the, the problems of growing too quickly. It like where I am. So imagine the scenario it's November, 2023. I'm not doing the sales that I need. And someone comes right. You can double your business tomorrow. Well, that sounds amazing. I can double how much I earn. What are the problems that come from doing something like that? Well, you don't double what you earn. That's the thing. So if you double, if you've got multiple businesses, only 20% of those people will be sweet customers. They'll pay you on time. They won't moan all the time. You know, they'll, they'll, uh, you know, treat you like a human being and not a, not a master slave relationship. Um, so only 20% of them will be your ideal customers. So, you know, if you grow too quickly, then have you got the infrastructure in place to grow quickly? And, you know, are you Facebook? Are you, you know, LinkedIn? You know, if they had another 10,000 customers tomorrow, their infrastructure allows that to happen. But even then, only 20% of LinkedIn uh, global customers are engaged in some way in the platform, either paying or engaged on a you know regular monthly basis. 80% set up a profile and you never ever see them again. So they can quote any number they like, but there's only the top 20% that are driving any revenue to them. So we've got to be quite so, choosy about who we bring on, haven't we? Well, you know, think if you're an accountant and all, and you're looking after 100 clients right now, and all of a sudden you bring on another 100. You know, have you got the people to look after them? Have you got the infrastructure? Are you going to deliver the service that they're paying for? Or are they quickly going to get peeved off with you for, you know, being hard to contact? Every time I try yeah. to ring them, I have to leave a message. Da, da, da. I don't want to chat on email. You know, I want to talk to a live person because I've got a problem, you know. And how many people today are frustrated by trying to get hold of a, a big bank or an energy company or your local council or anybody, you know, and it's always they spend five minutes on the phone call trying to divert you to the website because they don't want you to talk to a human, either because the humans are at home so-called working or they don't have enough of them. Uh, like even last night I was in the supermarket and my choice is to queue for a till where I get to speak to a person and have a bit of banter rather than go to the self-service machine and get really frustrated where it takes longer than actually queuing. Well. That's a whole different story, but you know yeah. we have we have little next door, and if I'm ducking in for a sandwich or something for lunch, I just want to get in and out. So uh, I'm happy to go to the auto till because I know it works, and I'm in and out with no queue. Yeah, you know, and, and I'm not frustrated because I'm standing behind Mrs. Jones who's chatting away to her neighbour, and when she finally <laughs> gets to the till, puts all her groceries through, and then spends ten minutes looking for a purse. You know, we've yeah, all been yeah, in that sort of queue. Yeah. Okay, so you, ten years ago, you got involved with BBX in the UK. You you were part of the it. team, part of the team that set it up and started yep. it, and have grown it, and still own it and run it. What is BBX? That's a question I'm asked all the time, and the quick answer is: if you can imagine, LinkedIn got married to PayPal, with two differences. You have to own a business in order to have a profile. So if you're on LinkedIn, you know, they do events, seminars, webinars, podcasts, mentoring, coaching, connecting. That's one aspect of the business, but you it's business owner to business owner. And we generally find you get a superior level of knowledge and service if it is owner to owner connections. So it's only owner, owner profiles. 
the PayPal type thing is that we capture and monetize spare capacity in any business. So the example we use is a hotel that has 100 rooms, sells every room for 100 pounds a night, has 70%, 70% occupancy. Tells me it's got a good business, it's making seven grand a night, but what about the three grand that's oozing out the window, never to, be, never to return? So if that hotel was part of the platform, we'd promote the 30 rooms that are unsold for whatever reason, someone from the community come and stay. We have our own payment gateway that allows the payment to move from the buyer into the seller's account in the form of a digital trade credit, it's a little bit like PayPal. The only difference with PayPal is you don't exit to fiat. You earn the money from the community, monetizing spare capacity, giving it some value, and then you use that to offset cash costs in the business by buying stuff from the rest of the community. So we call it circular money, reciprocal money, boomerang money. So you earn it from the community, you then use it back into the community. So how many people go to a networking event? And it's all great. Everybody's trying to sell you their stuff, but no one wants to buy. And I'm yep. thinking, how does that work? In our community, you buy from people, you sell to people, you communicate with people, you integrate and network with people. So it's a community for business owners to do business with other business owners. And the best part of it that I took away from my last conversation was it enables people to utilize the spare capacity that they've got to turn it into credits that they can then spend on stuff that they would normally spend their own hard-earned cash on. Yeah. So anybody, if you said, look, you know, how much did you pay with your accountant last year? And I'm only picking on accountants because they're our biggest category. And they say, oh, it's a thousand pound. Okay, cool. And how much business did the accountant do back with you last year in round numbers? Ah, yeah, that's, that's the answer. And I know what it is before I ask. So hang on, let me understand that. So you pay a thousand pound out, that comes out of your cash flow. You get your accounts done to tell you how many beans you got. Happy days. That's it. So rewind that a second. If you sold 10 rooms using the hotel example and, and acquired a thousand digital trade credits and then spent them with paying for an accountant that's in the in the community, you'd still get your books done, right? Yep. Yeah. Perfect. But two other things that change. You've got 10 new customers that come and stayed in the hotel instead of an empty bed. They might tell their friends and that might drive some new business and you nicked a bit of business off a competitor. So that's not bad from a marketing angle, but from a financial marketing uh, thing, what did selling 10 rooms that would have otherwise been unsold cost you? 10 bars of soap, 10 squirts of shampoo, 10 servings of egg and bacon for breakfast, uh, which might cost you 50 quid out of a thousand worth of new revenue because none of the fixed costs rise. Yeah. So, you know, the receptionist still gets paid the same, the energy bill's the same, the rate bill's the same. So all we're doing is capturing and monetizing some wasting revenue at a cost of the peripheral, not fixed costs. So by doing it our way, you buy a thousand pounds worth of accounting, it might only cost you 50 quid rather than a thousand, you still get your books done. So, so if you're listening to this, if you've got in your business un, unmet capacity, this is a way to turn that capacity into cash indirectly so that you yeah. can you, you get credit that you can spend that saves you spending the money that you're actually taking in revenue through your business. Better cash flow. If you think cash flow, and I talk about it in the book, cash flow is like a river. You've got to either make it rain upstream or build a bigger dam. So yes. in the hotel example, if you're getting some people into your unsold rooms, you're making it rain upstream because you're getting some more revenue. 
and you could with that revenue you could either build the bigger dam by offsetting a cost like the accountant or marketing or whatnot or get it to rain even more by spending it on marketing to get known out into the big wide world so if you took out a you know digital screen or a magazine or a radio ad campaign someone listens to that you know they're not part of the bbx community so you're using your unsold revenue that costs you only a small amount to create a campaign to drive cash into your front door you know it should be a no-brainer and spare capacity is the ability to do more work without increasing fixed overhead for those that are looking for a definition to see if it fits in their business so as an example, someone that runs um, exhibitions, business exhibitions, might have five unsold spaces at an exhibition. They're better off being sold rather than being empty. It doesn't cost them anything extra, but it's better to look full and use them to generate digital credits within BBX rather than just leave them empty. And, and for the same reasons as a hotel. You know, they can use it to create some marketing or offset some costs with the sale, you know, reward the salespeople that have sold the stands for regular money. Um, but, you know, no one wants to go to an empty high street or high street where there's boarded up shops and an exhibition, yeah. you know, uh, aside from the aesthetics, if they're turning, uh, they've already hired out the hall. If they've got spaces that they haven't sold, that's just money going to waste if come the day after the exhibition. So that, that's a perfect example. Okay, I like that. And I think that's an easy way for people to understand it. But you gave me an example of how somebody had sold some of their surplus during in within BBX and then bought exhibition space and then turned that into money. Just talk me through that example that you gave me a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, that and it's on our website. There's a testimonial there from Melanie from Oliver Miles Events. So they, they do, they curate expe- uh, events. You know, you go off to the football or you go to a concert or whatever it happens to be. They buy tickets off the off the providers and then they sell them. Sometimes they get stuck with, with tickets that they haven't sold. And if they don't sell them, they waste forever, like the hotel room. So Melanie had sold, I don't know, six or eight or 10 grand's worth of these tickets, uh, soaking up her spare capacity. She's now got some digital trade credits that, uh, that don't cost her anything to monetize because none of her, she doesn't even have a bar of soap or a squirt of shampoo to monetize them. Now, she'd always been thinking about going to the meeting show, and uh, which is an offshoot of the PA show or the, what, the other way around. So she used five or six grand of that digital trade credit to buy a stand at the show. They had, you know, masses of people attend the show. I think it was at London Excel. One of those uh, visitors ended up... Uh, buying Melanie services, which turned into uh, more than a hundred thousand pounds of sterling revenue for three years, each year for three years. So she wouldn't have gone to the show in the first place had she not, because she didn't have the six grand running around to spend on a show and going like that. She's monetized some spare capacity, got it into a stand, attended the show and picked up, in her words, her biggest ever invoice. Wow. There's an example. Mm-hmm. The show's got a new customer instead of an empty stand. Everybody wins. The only yeah. people that lose are the, are the exhibition company's competitor, Melanie's competitor, and people that are outside the community. I like it. Okay. Um, let's backtrack then. So you touched on growing too quickly was one of the challenges in the business. What, what are some of the other things that have not worked? 
in terms of growing your business? Um, I'm saying, you know, we've been steady growth over 34 years. I've been in the business 34 years and I don't know of many businesses. I've exited twice. Um, I did a trade sale and then a public flotation and I've ended up back in the business. So it's also a reciprocal uh, business for me as it's turned out, but that's another story. Um, you know, we all make mistakes. You employ the right, wrong people. You know, you think you're doing the right thing at the time. You know, everybody would love a crystal ball or hindsight. Fantastic. Yep. But, you know, sometimes you've just got to learn by your mistakes. Read about some of the ones that we all make, like I, I outline in the book, and then, you know, try not to make the same mistake twice. Because I have a saying that says, show me a person that never makes a mistake and show me a person that I never want to work with. Show me a person that makes the same mistake over and over and over. Show me a person I don't want to work with. Yeah. So in so other words, if, you, if you're not prepared to make a mistake, then you're too conservative. Yeah. And uh, if that that's a never a person I want to be associated with. But again, if you make a mistake, you've got to learn for it, from it, improve on it and move on. But if you keep making the same one, you know, I don't want to work with you. So I talk to a lot of people about building their team. And and I think in the world that we live in now, it's easier to build your team than ever. We don't have to take on full-time employees in order to scale our business. And and you touch on, when, when you're recruiting, it goes one of two ways. Either it works or it doesn't. What happens when it doesn't? What advice do you give people? So whether whether so for someone listening to this, they might be taking on a VA, they might be working with somebody to help with the social media, or they might be recruiting a member of staff. Yep. And again, I talk about that in the book. I'd peel the onion another layer and say, is my system right? So I have a couple of things that uh, that I absolutely live and die by. One is always be recruiting, especially when you don't need to. Yeah. Now, and I learned, I learned this back in the MLC days, is because most people, they'll only start recruiting once someone's handed their notice in. Or you've got to the realisation that you desperately need someone. And there's the key. You're desperate. And so yeah. what what we do is we, you know, do whatever we have, whatever the strategies. We get, you know, 10 CVs if we're lucky. And then we recruit the best of the 10 that we've got, even if none of them meet the minimum criteria because we're desperate. So the solution to that is always be recruiting when you don't need to. And because then you're prepared. You've got people yeah. in the waiting list. You've, you've, you've you're doing it and then the, the the other part of that is you know you, you've got to be choosy and and very selective when you were recruiting so you've got to be agonizingly painful in the recruitment process and then you've got to be absolutely ruthless when it's time to let someone go to a place that they're more suited and so the other end of the thing is that you have these people and my experience says 80 percent of the time you have this feeling that this person's not working out and you linger and you do some more training and then you you know drag them back from whatever issue that they've been facing and you put your arm around them and you spend a lot of time with them to then in, in three months' time, uh, they finally resign and you think, oh, thank God for that. Uh, I haven't got an unfair dismissal claim I have to deal with, you know. Okay. So, so there's the other side of that. I know that probably sounds harsh, but... My experience says, you know, recruit with absolute methodical uh, nature. And we use a variety of different uh, systems like disk profiling and whatnot. But it's got to be, you know, we take time to make sure it's the right fit in theory. 
It doesn't always work out, but when it doesn't work out, fire fast. You know, when it, when the first bell comes on that this is not working out, take action. That That's yeah. my, if I want to put my ruthless uh, had, hat on. And you know, we're only talking about it with a with a small percentage. It's not with it's not like we're saying everybody that we take on it's not going to work out with because if we've got the right process at the start, it should work. But there are always those instances where circumstances change and people don't turn out to be the right fit on on both parts. Yep. Um, dealing with it sooner rather than later is usually best for both parties. Yep. So again, the summary is: be a lot more, lot better prepared, and work hard at the front end. But also take swift action when you when you realise things are not going well, because persevering with people, eighty percent of the time, you you will get to an end of a three, six, twelve month process and say, why didn't I do that three, six, twelve months ago? For their sake as well as yours. No um, one should be in it. No one should come to work in a business they don't like doing and they're not good at. And, and I speak about that. You know, why would you possibly work with anybody? You, you, all you're doing is sit, you're, you're a mercenary, selling your time for money. You know what? You should be enjoying your time, and if you do, if you enjoy your time at work, you'll do it better. And if you do it better, you'll get a bigger bonus if you work for me. And the more money you can make will come out the back end, not out the front end. Yes. Yeah. So what That's about the people I talk, that I also talk about? One of the one of the things I've learned over the years is never pay anyone a big salary. So always pay them a subsistence salary that they can get by and pay their bills, but incentivize them to make twice or three times what you thought you were going to pay them as a salary. Because then you've got the right person that's treating it as a business. They're taking an interest in how you're operating. Uh, and that their reward is getting two or three times the money at the end of the year that they would have on a what I call a fat salary, you know, one that's yeah. fluffy and you don't have to do too much. You clock off at five o'clock, you turn up at nine. Uh, if you get a headache today, you don't turn up at all. You know, there's no interest, no commitment. You know, it's all got to be part of the process. And I can run an ordinary business or I can run an extraordinary business. And, and to run an extraordinary business, you've got to have extraordinary people. You do. That leads me perfectly on to... Who who do you have assisting you? And this is a loaded question because I know that your wife has a role to play that you talk about in the book in supporting you with the business. How does she help you? She's a sounding board. So she's been actually in the business for, uh, up until, you know, last year or two where, where she's got selectively uh, less and less to the point where she's now fully retired. Um, but she's a sounding board. You know, she's the person that I respect the most and trust the most in terms of keeping me in check. I'm one of these guys that's there, you know, if I could get a, a, a mission to go through a jungle, I'd get a bulldozer and a, a machete and I'd be off, you know, swathing away, leaving a trail of destruction behind me. And sometimes I make impulsive decisions and she'll say to me sometimes, John, I think uh, that decision that you've made, I, I don't quite like that person. I've got, mm, I don't like that, uh, the structure of that deal. I've done a little bit of research and I really don't know whether or not that's the right sort of person for you or not. And I'll tell you what, probably more than 80% of the time she's right. And and <laughs> even if she's wrong, she's right. It makes, makes a huge difference having the right person by your side though, doesn't it? 
and, and whether it's a business partner or whether it's a whether it's a life partner or a combination of both, if you work together, um, you know, and complementary people. You know, she's much more analytic than I am. She's much more intuitive. Uh, she's far less trusting, um, more sceptical. And, and that's all uh, said. If she was sitting here, I'd say exactly the same thing, but that's what she, that's what she is. Um, and she, she's my rock that, that just brings me back to reality when I need it. I love that. And I'm the same. My partner Lou, she's she's the person that I trust. Her intuitions nine times out of ten, it's always right, and it makes a massive difference having that sounding board. And I think part of it, when we running a business, can be a lonely place, can it? Just just saying stuff out loud to somebody else who's interested, we can answer a lot of the questions ourselves just by saying it out loud. But when we just internalize it, we have the wrong kind of conversations. Yeah, and that's part of the community. You know, we've got over a thousand verticals in our community. And, you know, some of them are great coaches, mentors and uh, NED type people, part-time, you know, C-suiteers uh, that come into your business three, four hours. And we've got just about every topic that you could ever think of, someone's an expert in. And, you know, and, you know, it, business is a lonely place. You know, if you look at uh, the, the, the community in the UK today, there's 5.5 million businesses, 4.9 of them are one-person operations. So, you know, who do you turn to? And and so one of the benefits of being part of a community is that you'll be able to find someone to turn to. Yeah. Okay. When you're not working, um, I read that you're you have a passion for cricket. Um, yeah. Well, the long story short is that I played uh, senior cricket for. 20 odd years and then I got suspended for abusing an umpire who made the wrong decision of course. Um, of course part of my penalty was I had to take an umpiring course and one thing led to another and 18 years later and and uh, 14 of those on the ECBD list I ended up being a far better umpire than I was a player uh, well I umpired at a greater standard put it that way uh, a higher standard um, enjoyed my time there met some wonderful people People like uh, in the Glenn Maxwell and Travis Head, uh, who played here in the league that it, uh, I was umpiring at Premier League level. Um, uh, great connections, a little bit like maybe rugby, I guess, is the equivalent here. There's certainly a, a, an ex-player, ex-community aspect where you end up with uh, rubbing shoulders with like-minded people with similar interests yeah. and. Um, you know, that's a great uh, way of, of uh, expanding your business contacts and in turn your business. So cricket's a passion. I love doing it. Um, I retired a couple of years ago after 30, 40 years of, of doing it. And, and oddly enough, I haven't missed it since. Um, and again, my wife got involved with that and decided that we had to do other things on a weekend than, than uh, me, me uh, involved with cricket. And uh, But it's been a good decision. So... I enjoyed my time with it, but I've certainly enjoyed my time away from it as well. All right. And then lastly, let me just ask you, what are your top tips for people with networking? Hmm. So in face-to-face in -face or online, I think it's pretty much the same. Um, I'm not a full favour of this softly, softly, you know, muck about, build a relationship over 16 years before you can finally sell something to somebody in case you offend them or whatnot. I believe that's a whole lot of rubbish. I, I think it's 
you know, finding a fit. So when I go into a networking event, I, I'm always curious. I want to find out what you do, you know, where, where, where your positives and, and uh, weaknesses are. And, you know, if you've got a business, or you're that hotel owner, and I find that you've got 30 rooms every single night that are going to waste, I need to dig into that and understand why, what have you tried that, uh, that's that? You've still got a successful business, but I think I can help. And I'd say, you know, in this case, I can help you. Let, let me make a couple of suggestions. And, and then if you offer a couple of suggestions and the person goes, well, this, this person seems to know what they're talking about. Yeah, let's follow it up with a one-to-one to see if there's a fit. And then we decide. And then if there's a fit, then we move forward. Um, yeah. If there's not, you know, we've created a contact and a connection that it may not be right timing uh, to do business right now. Um, but it certainly doesn't remove the opportunity for developing an introduction relationship where they'll know someone that fits the thing now that they know what it is that you do. So I hate this stuff where it says, let's have a chat. <sighs> let's have a coffee and three biscuits, get fat and and not get anywhere. You know, that's complete yeah. garbage. You know, don't have conversations with people that can't be a fit for you at some point or introduce you to somebody that's not. And that, and that yeah. doesn't rule out too many people. Connect with people that you like. You know, there's nothing worse than having a boring, you know, watching paint dry conversation with someone that just drones on like I am now. And, you know, and it's not going anywhere. You know, make sure you like the because you want to enjoy the, the whole process as well. So, you know, attract uh, people attract you are the some of the five people you spend the most time with. And, you know, do business with people that you can get on with. It doesn't have to be a social thing, but the litmus test for me is if the opportunity came along, would I enjoy a beer with the person? And if that's the case, yeah. spend more time with those sort of people uh, because they'll also spend more time with those sort of similar people. Even if they're not a fit, they'll introduce you to their friends that are a fit and, and you have much more enjoyment. People say, John, why aren't you retired? You know, you've, you've got the building blocks. You don't need money, da-da-da-da, which is true. But I say, well, if I like golf, would I stop doing it? And I say, no. So I actually enjoy coming to work every single day. It, it, it really, you know, I get here at five. I was here at five o'clock this morning, doing a call with Australia, and I'm still here tonight. And it's five o'clock at night. So you know, I love it. I really, really, you know, my favourite uh, stuff is that I love Mondays. So Bob Geldof, I'm not a fan because I love my Mondays. You know, I love my Fridays as well because we have a couple of beers at the end of the week. Um, yeah. But I certainly look forward to a Monday. No, I'm the same. You're, we're on the same page with that. Like, I, I'm not one that goes straight in and pitches at people. I want to find out how I can help them, who I can connect them to. I want to be around people that I enjoy spending time with because that just makes the whole business of business more fun, doesn't it? Uh, and that's the whole purpose, you know, getting to know people. So a networking event, whether it's online or not, you know, there's some simple stuff you can do, like putting your name on your Zoom uh, thing. You know, turn your camera on, for God's sake. You know, I hate going on a on a call where someone's not got their camera on. It's like, would you turn up to the pub and turn your back on someone and have a conversation? No. So, you know, that irritates me. Um, yep. Circulate in your room. You know, get to know everybody. Help uh, help people with introductions. If you, if you search out things, oh, I know, you know, that Mary, you know, is a florist and loves, you know, selling uh, flowers to hotels, whatever. 
if I run across a hotel that's in flowers, I connect them up, you know, and and I get appreciation, even if we never, ever do business. So, you know, treat people as you'd like to be treated. If you want introductions, give introductions to other people. And, you know, the last thing is in networking, you know, everybody wants to sell their stuff to you, but no one wants to buy your stuff. And, and I'd say, how's that work? So be an open mind. If, if you like a person and you can get on with them, buy from someone that you know rather than some giant buddy Amazon or something that you've got no relationship with because your business, if it's 100 quid, if it's 1,000 quid, means nothing to Amazon. But 1,000 quid to a small business owner that's in your local community means a hell of a lot, you know. And, you know, if, if the local community is, uh, is better off, then you're better off because everybody wins rather than the big nationals that don't care who you are and don't even know who you are. I couldn't have said it better. This kind of business that we do, the business of supporting small businesses, it just goes around. And the more people that we help, the better everybody is from it. And, and it's not necessarily price. It might be a little bit more expensive, but you get a better deal. You get better service. You know, you get someone that's accountable if something goes wrong. You know, yeah. how frustrated do you get when something goes wrong with one of the big guys and you can't even talk to anybody? So Yeah. All right. So if somebody wants to buy your book, John, where's the best place for them to go? Well, you know, we, we shouldn't give it out too much, but uh, if they go to the Nugget store or they just Google John Attridge and business blunders and bloody great ideas, anybody that's watching, it looks like that. So business blunders and bloody great ideas. So if you just Google that and Google me, you'll see the various spots that, that it's available. Uh, it's a full 20 quid and I, I put even put a value offer in there that if you read the book and don't get 20 quids worth of value, just let me know and I'll happily give you your 20 quid back. Uh, if you can't afford 20 quid, there's a, I think there's a 99p option if you do it online and I'm just about to do it on Kindle. Right. Love it. Okay. Thank you very much. I've loved having you on, John. Um, always a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you very much for your time. You're more than welcome. It's been my pleasure and it'll be my pleasure even more if uh, someone from the show reaches out to me on LinkedIn or something and says, hey, I got a bit of value out of that. Uh, I love the feedback. All right. Thank you very much. Take care. Take care now.